Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. Today on the show is Tim Kennedy. He's a badass. He is an active Special Forces sniper. He's Ranger qualified. He's Green Beret. He fought in the UFC. He owns a training facility called Sheepdog Response, where they train people in fighting and saving people's lives and all kinds of crazy stuff, in which he told me I should come check out. Ultimately, he's just an, an insanely brave, strong, capable human being that has put himself in so many dangerous scenarios and pushed the limits of comfort. And as you'll hear in the interview talking about just what does it, what is it that makes a really high quality human that's um, capable, that's confident, that's competent, and that's getting on, getting uncomfortable. Get outside your comfort zone, talk to people that you don't necessarily agree with. And the value then of being able to when in that discomfort learn so whether if it's physical yes you get stronger but if it's a mental or phys or psychological then you you might learn something and so we just talked a lot about like how to be a really high quality human but what anchors this interview that i saw a few weeks back was that he posted that he has a school and while i don't have children i have a strong opinion about school and that well, it sucks and I think it needs a whole revamp. So Tim started a school called Apogee in which he explains what Apogee means, which is essentially reaching the pinnacle and his vision for it, what uh, the school is gonna be like, what they're gonna teach, how they're gonna teach most importantly and his ultimate vision. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Tim's an amazing guy with so many little valuable lessons and gems, and he has so much energy, like so much great energy. Please hit subscribe, hit the bell for notifications for when we have an interview that comes out. And also, I just love to hear what you guys have to say in the comments. So enjoy. Usually when it's like uh, four, five, six, can't count that high, that's usually me on the golf course. And I'm like, I literally can't count as high as how many shots it's taken me to get here. So I have completely lost it. I have no idea. I'm just yeah, I just double out. whatever the par is. That's how yeah. I play. That's exactly how I play. But I recently decided that I wanted to get better. And I've been playing with some people that bet. And so you have to have a, a, a handicap. And so when people ask what my handicap is, I just tell them severe. Like it's the full, it's severe. Yeah, and all of them. So, I have all yeah, of them. Exactly. But they then see me play every now and again going, you're probably a little better than your, than your severe handicap. So I've had to do, to get a gin, the G-H-I-N, like whatever it is, the thing that gives you an actual official handicap. You have to have yeah, a yeah. golf course, like, su like submit you and everything. Anyway, um, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't even give you the double par for the hole. Like it, Tra it sort of, sort of like knocks it down. It might even only be even like double bogey. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of friends that have no, no arms, no legs. So we love going to golf courses and like, hey, what's your handicap? And they just like look at us like severe. <laughs> yeah, I have no legs. You know, you tell me. Yeah. They also have like the weirdest, darkest sense of humor. So it never never works out well. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to have a little humor around it, right? I mean, it's because it's obvious, you know. So you just have to. You have to call out the elephant in the room and make it make it funny for everybody so they can oh. relax because people get uncomfortable. They do. Yeah. And that they do. They definitely uh, call it out. So hey, will you, will you show me how to ride a, drive a car. Oh, for sure. Yes, absolutely. We go to the, all these military courses. I can ram. I can, you know, counter pit. I can pit. Like, I, th I think I'm pretty fancy. And then I go to like these tracks and I, I'm not joking. I bet you I know, I know you could do it. I have people like beat me driving backwards, backwards. And, and, um, and it's really embarrassing. 
Wow. I just would have thought that you were good at everything. You just seem like you're good at everything. No, I mean, I fancy myself good behind the wheel, but then I get around people that are actually talented and then I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not actually not good. Gosh. Are you in Austin? Is that, is that where you I are? Am. Yeah. There's so many people out there. I feel like I could get a pretty good crew together. You got, you guys could all get your ass kicked by me. It could be really yeah. fun. <laughs> nice. We went straight there. Gloves are off. Yeah. There's no doubt. All of us, we'd, we'd love to do it. Actually, Gordon's over there sleeping right there. He's getting ready for a big fight. And, uh, so the team is about to start training. I just got done with a little anaerobic and, uh, you would absolutely dunk on us behind a wheel. You're so like tough and manly and kick so much ass. And how does that like land for you to get beat by a girl? Like I'm being really serious. You can joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, joke um, throw it away. And then I, tell me like the real thoughts in a man's mind. Yeah, I, I have been so blessed to have been surrounded by so many incredible athletes for so long. Holly Holm, um, one of my teammates in Albuquerque, she was uh, she knocked out Ronda Rossi, Rousey to win the title. And mm -hmm. watching her train three times a day, you know, with Winkle John, with Greg Jackson, you know, watching these elite athlete women fighters uh, put everything, their lives aside, their desire to start a family aside and um, truly be like the the best athlete. No, just athlete, not man athlete, not female athlete, just athlete on the planet. And then um, in the military, you know, in special operations, we have a ton of women in special operations and um, we, we have, they're not the nicest names for them. Um, we, we call them like fembots. <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. And these women shoot faster than us. They are as accurate as us. they are. They speak five, six, seven languages. I don't even know. Like they're truly like they're, and we call them that because they'll never look at us because they're, they're operators, right? There it's like, there's no gender here. There's just talent. And they're so talented, um, that it's, we're just off the table. There's, there's no man, there's no woman here. They're just literally robots to us and, uh, so incredibly talented. So I have no ego left having been destroyed in every way from so many different people in so many different, um, fields that, uh, like I'm fine getting beaten. Um, I don't like to lose, but it doesn't matter. Fair, fair. That's a fair, um, discernment between losing and losing to a girl. What about dudes that have a problem with it? Like, what does that say about them? I mean, being on the inside, you know, being a guy and all. Man, I don't think there's something wrong with them. Um, really? I, I, I get as mad losing to a girl as I would losing to a guy. Um, you know, there there are things that my wife is faster than me right now. You know, I'm I'm out of knee I'm out of uh, knee surgery about a year now, and um, my like real speed hasn't come back, and she fancies herself a fast runner. And um, going out and doing like five miles with her where she's running like a 7.20, And I'm trying so hard to have like the Ranger eight minute standard and barely holding on, you know, and I cross at like 41 minutes. I don't pass. And I like want to, you know, I crawl into the corner and shame, you know, and she's sitting there like, oh, let's do another five. I'm like, I hope you break your leg. You know, how about that? Um, you know, no, it's it. it, it it, I want to be surrounded by the best period, regardless of gender. I'm a father of three daughters and, um, you know, and as long as they can toe the line with neutral standards, so be it. Yeah. You know, we're built beautifully different and, yeah. uh, and I love seeing people succeed and how they're beautifully built. Yeah. Well, what is it that gives someone the right 
fundamentals, the right way of thinking to be able to have that kind of a mindset? What are those things that you instill like in your daughters to give them uh, or the the people at Sheepdog when you're training them? Like what are those, what are the, what is the mindset to having that kind of an opinion? It's so funny. Uh, right before we get on here, Sonny, who's sitting over there, we, uh, we we're talking, um, you know, they just got done training uh, they left. I worked out. They came back. I was getting another workout. They're getting ready to go out and train again. You know, and we're talking, we're talking about haters. We're talking about people that, you know, like, Oh, like how does Tim have this stuff? You know? And like, if only, if only they could look behind the curtain and see the consistency, see the hard work, see the sweat, see the jacked, the jacked up hands, you know, like the hours that I put in you know, the 16, 17, 18 hours a day, you know, like you want to know why my businesses are successful. It's because I put everything into it and there's not a recipe. I do not own this, like that hard work with consistency over time equals success. And, you know, if you look out on these maps that have multiple world champions on them right now, I just turn this thing around you see all these guys. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer a reference to the inner eye chakra, one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voidbydanica.com. Killing it. Yeah, getting ready. Um, like these are the best in the world. How, how and why are they the best? Like They train with the best in the world. They surround themselves with the best. They seek the, the best. And, um, you know, they put their egos aside and go out there and try to improve consistency with hard work over time is going to give you success. That's easier said than done. Like seek the best and put the effort in. Like I get those things, but how do you get there? Cause this is for the people that, that, that are not in that position. These are the people that do not seek the best. Their egos are threatened. They want to still be on top. They might bring people down. Like what are, what's the shit that they have to face so that they can, they can actually transition into being a valuable human. I mean, it, it, it's it's heartbreaking when I see somebody that wants to to be something, and I know they'll never do what it takes to be that. Right. And um, and there it has to be intrinsic. Mm-hmm. Intrinsic is 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 something that is self motivating inside of you, right? So as you're getting ready for a fight high on the emotion. I'm getting ready to go overseas on a deployment. You know, I, I have a ton of adrenaline. You know, I have a little bit of fear. I know that I'm going to be going into a, in, in a non-permissive environment where, you know, people could even want to kill me. Like I have all of this um, natural motivator. Well, I'm not going to get better in that little bit of time leading up to that deployment where my emotion, this elation of me wanting to get better is, is motivating me. The time that I'm actually going to get better is the time before that, when I have to be showing up, I have to be technically working on a skill. I have to be trying to find how to get to that next level. I'm putting that ego aside. Um, 
um, I'm seeking out professionals again. Like, I think I'm a pretty talented shooter. I think I'm a pretty talented grap- grappler. I think I'm a, I was a pretty talented fighter. Um, I would go all over the world to find these people to train with me. Um, they would beat me. I didn't like that. You know, um, that doesn't feel good, but that right, is because right. you like to win. Not, that is a win. You're not going to get better in, in an environment that you're the best. You know, you have to find areas where other people are challenging you and pushing you. And only in that struggle will growth occur. So consistency. So not just doing it when you need to, but literally making a lifestyle out of challenging yourself and putting yourself up against the best over and over again. All the time. And when I say that's intrinsic, that that is discipline. Um that emotion leading up to going overseas, that emotion that you have before a fight, that emotion that you have after you go to a seminar, that emotion that you have after you go to a driving course, that ends. That ends, I don't know, what, three days, five days, maybe a week? Well, what do you do for the next three months? That's discipline. And that's where consistency is. And if you don't have that, then you don't have what it's going to take for you, whatever that goal is, you know, whether it's going to be being a better father, you know, it's being um, a professional athlete, it's being a, a, the best driver. Like, you're not going to ever be that without that discipline, that consistency with hard work over time. How much of that? I mean, like I, I, I just have this theory that human nature is to do the minimum and like my minimum was just different. Like I got yelled at for being only a half a second quicker than everybody on the racetrack. Like my minimum was not very low. It was pretty high, but I have this theory that people just, that's to do the minimum. So like how much can you actually learn later? You know, I got discipline when I was a kid, but if I was a lazy person that didn't have discipline, didn't have goals, didn't have vision, didn't have bravery, um, like that's so hard to learn later. So, you know, I think before we kind of talk about younger, because that's that's where we're going to get to next, like when you're older, it's difficult. You know, I like in my own world, I do a lot of spiritual growth and also like um, personality and emotional growth and all that stuff. And like, I tell everyone it sucks. Like if you really want to grow and evolve, it's going to suck. You, It's not just like, oh, I'm just punch me in the arm a few times. No, it's like meltdown. Like you have to oh. really go through it. So what is the suck as an adult to actually get to the point where you have discipline and you can be consistent? Like what's, what is, what, what are, what are some things you have to face? Your childhood, your parents, what? Your new but, friends, move cities. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you are 100% right that the earlier you start, the easier it is. But at no point is it ever too late. Um, and, and that is a lie where it's, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's a lie. Go get a dog. I can show you. I, I have Belgian Malawas that, um, yeah, it's easier to teach them yeah. young. But, you, yeah, they're the best, you know, and, and you can teach them anything, anytime. Um, so what are the things that we have to put on this, on the side? Um, it, you are who you surround yourself with and you know, you, the bar set for you was a high bar, the bar of expectation of being a half set second faster on the track. You know, everyone in my family were high achievers, the bar, you know, like me being a two time, you know, fighting for the world title two different times. When I came back home my dad was like, but do they call you a champion? You know, like you have a long road to be a contender again because you lost that fight. Just cool. You're in there, but you didn't win it. You know, like, um, you know, we have, we have Olympians, we have, we, we have people in the hall of fame and in, in my family and, and that's, that's the bar. And, um, so at what point do you start setting the bar for yourself, for you and your family, for you and your children, for you and your, and your spouse, where you guys are going to say, like, we collectively are going to start eating better. 
And I know this for a fact that if you're faithful in the small things, you're going to be faithful in the big things. There's no way that you are going to see big results without making small changes. And those small changes matter. When General Mattis was asked, what is the most important thing that he does in a day? He said he makes his bed. That's the first small choice that he can make in a day is to make his bed. And then the next thing is, does he have a cup of coffee or does he have a big glass of water? It's better for him to have a big glass of water. So he does, you know, does he have a sugary cereal for breakfast? No, he just has a nice couple eggs scrambled with uh, some sourdough toast. Now he's three decisions into his day and he's made three great decisions. Now we're starting to see a trend that's going to happen and carry us through the day. But more importantly, you're going to see a momentum of energy that starts compounding, you know, the exponential J curve, whatever you start making better decisions, lots of little decisions. It gets easier to make the harder, big decisions, but you will not make the harder, big decision without being faithful in the smaller decisions. So again, it's discipline. Love that. Love that so much. All right. Um, okay. Let's talk about the school. Cause I, like when I saw you post about doing the school, I was like, I don't even have kids and I just have dogs. I have Belgian Malinois a little, uh, miniature Siberian Husky, but, um, but, but I don't have kids. I just, my sister has four and obviously all my friends have kids. And where I come from with school is that I have a GED. I left school when I was 16. I moved to England. I went racing and like, I don't have formal education, but I wouldn't call myself stupid. I would say that, um, that I'm pretty smart. And I feel like in school, there's just so many things that even at the point that I left, I don't use. So like, I just, that's where I come from, from school. And so I look at, look at so many aspects of it. And I just think, man, these so many things feel like they need to change. So like, what are the things that are wrong with school? Because obviously it's going to, it led you to, to the place of, 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 of making, creating one. So what did you see that you were not okay with? Yeah. So, so education for let's, let's, let's separate education from school. And right now those are being conflated between the two. Those are very different things. Like just because you didn't go to proper formal education or proper formal school does not mean that you're not educated, Mm -hmm. right? If you, if you look, Look at the the original Socratic deep thinkers, the philosophers. They were not ones that that went to a proper school, right? Mm-hmm. They read books, they discussed, mm-hmm. they debated, and in that their their learning was elevated, mm-hmm. um, their education was elevated. That is different than school, mm-hmm. and we've done a very dangerous thing where by conflating school with education, we think that you have to go to school to become educated. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the the smartest people on the planet right now. They did not go to school, but they are highly educated. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I first wanted to find those terms because you know for us in the United States, for us to say okay, he's well educated, okay, you know he's a graduate degree, you know he um we're, we're we're on his undergrad, he went to this school, Ivy League to this school. Now we're saying okay, he's highly educated. That's not true. That is that is a very dangerous thing. So for us, I want critical thinkers. For my school, Apogee, we have two programs, Apogee Strong, which is an online mentorship where we're really focusing on how people think, how fathers treat their children, how um, how you're going to be ahead of a household as, as a mom or a dad, and how young men and young women approach life. That's Apogee Strong. And then there's the actual physical campus called Apogee. What does Apogee mean? Apogee is to summit. It's to um, to reach the pinnacle of a moment. You know, if you if you are climbing Everest, when you stick that flag in the top, that is the moment of apogee where you have you have successfully met 
your goal of reaching the the crescendo of a moment, a crescendo of a ma- of a masterpiece, could could be called an, an apogee. Okay. That journey, the the Socratic journey, the hero's journey, is different for every kid, and some people learn different ways. Um, but more important, the end state, how somebody's going to use the education that they have, is going to be different for every single individual. Mm. And yeah, su- super important, right? In in school right now, we're training everyone the same. We're treating everyone the same. And we think that the, the end product is going to be the same. It's not. Every individual is going to be different. And even worse is we're conditioning somebody to do something that is not useful in the real world. And that's my problem with school is I want highly educated people that are critical thinkers and free thinkers that can think out of the box, that can create, you know, that, that can build, that can improvise. And that's how we do it at Apogee is just like kind of the antithesis of that right now, right? Fit in the box, read the book, know the things, get graded on knowing the things in the book. Like it's staying in the box. This is not critical thinking. This is memorization. In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. Yeah, that is not useful anywhere in the real world. It's not. There, there, there's no product coming from the school system right now that is useful to a business owner that if you want somebody to innovate, if you want somebody to build and you're going to hand me somebody from a proper school, I'd be like, you're useless. You're you. There's nothing I can do with you. Right. But then I go out to Midland, Texas and I go out to this kid that was homeschooled and he started learning how to weld. And then he started working as roughneck at like 17, 18 years old. They gave him a waiver because he wasn't old enough to actually pass the insurance thing. So they gave him a waiver. And then lo and behold, this kid can build anything, anything. He's wow. 18 years old, you know, like never spent a single day in a real school, but is so better educated for this thing of innovating and creating that anybody that's coming out of this mechanical engineering school, like just move on, you know, give me, give me that Eagle Eagle Scout that was homeschooled over the kid from MIT. Well, there's so many different kinds of intelligence too. Like we're talking about getting educated, but until to achieve some kind of intelligence or capability or knowledge, but there's so many different kinds. There's emotional intelligence, there's creative intelligence, there's critical thinking, there's mathematical, there's like, there's like all kinds of different kinds of ways to be smart and to be capable. And not everything, not every, not everyone fits into what the school has designed. I mean, it's just, I mean, I just look at it. I'm like these, like as a kid, you know, say you're 10 years old, like you want to go play, you want to climb a tree and then you go to school and you have to sit on the spot on the carpet, the same one every day. You can't go to the bathroom without asking. And you're just like put inside with very few windows, which I don't know why that's sensitive to me, but I just die without natural light. And you just have to go and you have to, you have to do the same thing all the time. And now at 40 for me, like, I mean, the whole reason why I have the podcast is to learn because I want to learn about people. I want to learn about just different sort of modalities and techniques in life and things that I haven't ever dove into. What age should a kid even start? Like, I'm very curious about even like age and timing. 
what is the end state, the goal for what we the, we want this child to be? Do I want them to be a consumer? Oh, fine. Send them to public school. Do I want them to be a lemming to, to be able to um, look at a book and go and do the thing that the book tells me to do? Cool. Send them to public school. I don't have a use for that. And I, I have a very little, and whether it's in the military uh, as a professional athlete or now as an entrepreneur, th- there's there's no point where I look at that product and I say, that's what I need. That's that's the role that I need to have filled. What I don't need somebody that is gonna not build. I don't need somebody that's not gonna innovate. I don't need somebody that's that only can consume. You know, like that can that that knows how to swipe. I don't need that. You know, I need somebody that can beautifully critically think and imagine how to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. So if that's our end state, a critical thinker that is a free thinker that can innovate, build, and create. Well, then let's go. Then now let's answer your question is at what part should they start learning? The moment they come out of the womb, I promise they are learning. You know, like the, the, the amount that they understand shame on us. Like we're not even medically scientifically in a position to understand how they are learning, but we just know that they are. You're right. It's those first six years. They, I mean, I interviewed Bruce Lipton and people like that, that, you know, dive into epigenetics and everything. And then up until about six years old, that's when the subconscious gets programmed that person, that subconscious, that's kind of who their, their, their being is as an entity, right? Mm-hmm. Now at six, they kind of know who they are. They're in their own skin. They're, now their frontal lobe is not built. They do, they cannot make like big decisions about, you know, permanently all life altering decisions. They should not be making until, you know, into their early twenties, mid twenties. Still at this point, they now are like, okay, I want to know things, you know, like I want to learn how to read. I want to understand, you know, why the boy, with the little lightning bolt on his head lived. And what does it mean for the future of, you know, this school? And, and that's where the magic of learning starts happening is because they want to, it's intrinsic in them to want to explore and to want to go out and to want to challenge and to, can I jump off this thing? Can, um, is it going to hurt if I do? I don't know. Maybe that might be too, too, too tall. Let's cut that in half, you know? Um, can I swing higher? Can I ride this bike? And that's, that is, that is the funnest period where, um, right. their personalities and their souls have kind of start started to being built. And now we just have to increase the volume and capacity for what they're able to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd say by six, then they should really be learning things. And cause that's when they kind of take on a little bit of a personality, right? They've been sort of built and now it's time to apply it. So Let's go back to critical thinking because I kind of want to know more about the more of the details of it. How do you create a critical thinker in yep. your format? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I, I think the first thing that you have to do is is show them how to make decisions. And that is something that's taken from them. That's something that's taken from them in the school system. I want our learners to make all the decisions for themselves and they have to learn the consequence of those decisions. They're making all the decisions, where they're going to sit, really? when they're going to eat, when they're going to drink, what, what tools they're going to use to help solve the problems. Is that formula going to work? There's a guide in there and I'm using these these words so people are tracking like a guide is like a teacher, but under the Socratic approach, a guide isn't teaching, a guide is guiding. And those those subtle differences matter. And so instead of saying, hey, Tommy, you did two plus four wrong, you said you you walk up and you're like, Tommy, there should always be a question. Tommy, is two plus four five? 
And that little difference asks him to make then yet another decision to look at his own question and be like, I think it is, is it not? Well, if we have two apples and I take two more apples, how many apples do we have? Well, it's four apples. Well, Tommy, you wrote that there's five apples on there. Why did you write five? If And then yet again, I'm asking another question. He's having to critically think. So you're conditioning the mind to learn how to make lots of little decisions. The first thing that we talked about, if you're going to be able to make those big decisions, you have to be faithful in those small ones. And it's no different. So it's no different with the mind. You have to condition them to make millions of little decisions in the day. Good decisions. Like if you did not do your homework and now it's time to go outside and play, it was your choice not to do the thing when the time was for us to do it. And you chose to go and draw something instead. Well, we only have 45 minutes on the play gym in this 90 minute period. You miss that time. The consequences, you don't get to spend that. You still have to finish the volume of work. Choices and consequences. That's right. And those are taken from them. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, so Socrates, the Socratic method, right? Um, we're, we're, we're talking way, way, way older than any form of this current experiment that we call public school. The, the highest learners ever were not educated in a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, they sat in a circle. We're still and quoting them. Yeah. So from Marca, Marcus Aurelius to Aristotle to Socrates, you know, when, when th- those are some of my my favorites. Um, you know, the a Socratic discussion is you pose a question, and that question. You take a position, whether you believe that position or not, you take that position and then you defend. And there's some really clear guidelines about how we're going to, you know, I'm going to be respectful of that person's opinion. I'm going to be respectful of the information that they're going to present. They're going to have time to present that information. I can rebuke, I can rebuttal that information. So it's like, it's a real clear format for us to debate. You know, it's uh, again, something that we've lost and forgotten how to do, which is how to talk to each other. Well, Under the Socratic model, you and I could sit here and talk about something that we totally disagree on, you know, and we could do it respectfully, yeah. you know, and, and we have, we have four, five, six year olds doing it every single day. I mean, I would call that in my world philosophizing. Like my, one of my favorite things to do is just philosophize or debate, toe one end of the line and let's vet this out all the way. Let's, let's, let's like politely, respectfully, and curiously vet things out. The the reason that we wrote our, our republic and our constitution um, and in our Bill of Rights and our formulation of government was to encourage discourse, right? You have an opinion. I have a opinion. We have two, these two separate parties. You and I sit down and we debate. And the better of the ideas rises to the top because of conflict, because of struggle, because of this discourse. And that doesn't exist right now because we're not able to talk to each other because every because everything is so divisive. Um, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The The way it's supposed to be is you have an opinion. I have an opinion. We sit down together. There might be things about my idea that's good. There might be some things about your idea that are good. Do these things, are these things mutually exclusive? Not necessarily. But if we don't sit down and talk to each other, the, the best idea might not be one of our um, separate ideas, but might be a new idea that's built off of both of our good ideas. But that could never happen unless we're able to sit down and have the Socratic conversation. What's the history of red, blue, you know, all the things that create so much divisiveness that nobody wants to listen to the other one, cognitive dissonance around everything because of identity politics or whatever all the things are that people participate in because it, I don't know, maybe may think they maybe think it makes their life, think they're being prideful in a way in their mind, but it really just is easier for them. 
You don't have to actually critical th- critically think then. <laughs> I, I, you circled the drain around the th- same thing where it's it's easier. And a lot of people just look for the easier thing. You know, they're going to read the headline and they're not going to read um, not even the article. They're not even going to look at the they're going to do the research to understand the context around it. You know, could you pick up Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf and be like, hey, there's some good ideas in here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you could. But guess what? You should probably read the context around it to understand that this was a psychopathic murder that then went on to genocide and start the Holocaust. Right. But if you just picked up this thing and read it, it was like huh, I might even be able to cure some diseases by this genetic selection. This is fascinating. Eugenics has an idea to it. Well, do a little research, and then all of a sudden you learn how dangerous of an idea it is. But without the context, it's useless. And now we are so clickbaity. We are so swipey. We are so headliney. We are so like divisively polarized and separated intentionally, this natural discourse never occurs where I don't get to walk a mile in your shoes. I don't get to learn about your ideas. I don't get to even try to be empathetic or sympathetic to want to learn because I'm so, um, I'm existing in this echo chamber of my own ideas, whether you like, cause I get to select all the people that I follow and all those people are aligned with my beliefs and I, I block and I silence and I mute all the people that I don't want to hear or I restrict, or I don't even know all the terms for all the different social medias that do the same thing, which create an echo chamber for my own ideas. And in that echo chamber, my own beliefs then just get magnified and repeated back to me that solidify my wrong ideas because my idea never met against conflict or struggle of somebody else's idea. Sure. The algorithms algorithms lock you in and then sell you on shit. Definitely sell you on stuff. That's all they want. So what are the greatest barriers that someone needs to remove from their habits and routines and their life to this? I feel like this could be a blanket for everyone. I feel like I feel pretty open-minded, but I think whatever you tell me, I'm going to look at my life and see if I can clear because- Probably the worst thing someone could do is think they're either they're they're the most open minded. They don't even need to try. But so what? So what are those things that? What are the barriers of entry to being more capable of having real, not agreeable necessarily conversations? Yeah, uh, I, I think first is you, um, and not not you personally, but Remove like me. You. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> Like t- look in the mirror and and take that finger and point back into you. That first barrier usually is going to be your own biases. So how do you identify your own biases? It's find conversations and people that make you uncomfortable. I'm never going to do that in front of somebody else unless I familiarize myself with being uncomfortable. So I have to do things intentionally. Mm-hmm. I have to self-elect to do things that are uncomfortable. So maybe that might be cold water immersion. You know, that might be sitting in the sauna. That might be a really, really hard workout. That might be learning something like ballet. Did you want to do ballet or something? Yes. No, no, I'm serious. You're hundred percent right. I, I did. I did ballet. I, <laughs> I, I learned. No, I did. Um, I, uh, the, the things that would blow your mind, the things that I chose to do, I have three daughters and one son. And if one of my daughters is like, dad, will you, I absolutely without a moment of hesitation, figure skating. Yes. You know, absolutely. Um, I'm a 220 pound hairy dude when um, my my very fast twitch athlete son is like, hey, I want to do. And then he inserts this modality that could not be any further from any of the skills that I have. And I say, yes, absolutely. Um, yes, you're going to see my with my daughter, a 220 pound hairy troll wearing figure skates out on the ice. You will. 
you know, and if, if you don't what find is a place, the, what is the most out of context thing that you've done? I don't know. Crochet, uh, <laughs> uh, diving. I found diving to be like springboard diving into a pool. It was like a little bit gymnastics, a little ballet, you know, because like form is really important. You have to, it's not just fast twitch muscle. When you're coming up to the board, you, like the setup and your walkout is all really important. You know, like even like how you um, step up to the board is important, you know? So uh, that was, that doesn't sound so, like such an outlier until you go and go into the diving world and you're like, Whoa, these are different people. You know, like their whole bodies are shaved and they're like miniature humans. You know, they're, they're like the tiniest little people. I'm serious. And they're like, I walk up and they look at me like, what is this Cro Magna man doing here? I'm like, <laughs> I'm here to dive. I'm here. I'm here for it. Um, volleyball. Would you My ever daughter over there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm actually pretty good at volleyball. Um, you never know, right? Well, but I'm I was pro I promise I was uncomfortable learning. There's so much good neurological help too. Um, as far as like just staying young, every time we learn something new, we create new neural pathways and that is so healthy for us to do. And I think it makes you better at all the other things, the, the, the things that like I really enjoy doing and the things that I'm, that I think that I'm really good at, uh, when I go and learn a new thing and uh, it's, it's, it's remapped my brain about how to learn how to do something and then I come back to the modality that I'm good at and I take with me a new way to learn how to do something new. And then I look at the thing that I already knew how to do and be like, huh, maybe if I applied this thing to this thing, I'm even better at it. It's just like having a conversation with somebody uh, yeah. and you have some good ideas. And guess what? They're another human too. They have some good ideas. All of a sudden you do everything better because you took their ideas and you merged and got better. Like that's how we level up this game of like him and her, us and them, red and blue, your country, my country. Like we just don't elevate. We're no. stuck. And so if we can learn how to use each other respectfully and intelligently to level up. We're not going to do it when, when I'm sitting here being like, oh, that black guy over there, that guy, gay guy over there. Like, that's not helpful. Like that person over there and that person over there, both of which I love, both of which are brilliant. How about they come over here and we have a conversation? Yeah. Like that, that they don't kill you. Cancer does. So like, how <laughs> do we fix that? Right? Like that's an actual threat. Right? Hunger, we're going to run out of water. I don't know if it's going to happen in this generation, but we're going to. And if we do not figure out how to work together, we're going to have a really rough go at it. You know, our next wars will be over water, not oil. And if you're still sitting there pointing your finger at some gay guy or some gender curious, like you're going to be the problem. Get over it. Nobody cares. Love everybody the same and just move on. Do you think there's anything kind of distracting in this sort of like identity politics world that we live in where people are, uh, the, the divisiveness is so strong in so many different areas? It doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem like human nature. Because when you go around the world, like even if you just think of it in a real simple way of like just country to country, and I've traveled a ton, you've traveled a ton. When I go to other places, I'm like, no, nah, everybody pretty much seems like they want the same thing. They're pretty good people. Like it seems like pretty good, you know? I'm sure we've got bad eggs everywhere, but like generally speaking, pretty good. So I just don't feel like us hating each other or people hating each other as the norm or disliking each other even is not human nature. Do you agree with that? I, I do agree. I also agree that almost everybody wants the same thing. 
but the dangerous part is the outlier fringe, the 5% on both respective sides of every argument are the ones that have the largest, loudest voices. And on the algorithms and the platforms that they're able to communicate, their voices are magnified. And that is where it feels so divisive when the 90% of us, we got the 5% on either side, the 90% of us in the middle are like, who are these crazy people? You know, like, I don't agree with either of those people, you know, like I just want to live and be a good father and be a good husband, you know, and be a good employer and, you know, be a good athlete and be a good human. Those people are crazy. Uh, but the other 90% of us, I like us, you know, um, but all we hear is these fringe outliers and I, that, that is not normal. So it's all a facade. So it's all so. just meant to create more fear to like per perpetuate divisiveness and competition and disharmony in the world. Why would they do that? It, it makes it so much easier for them to profit off of all of us. Divided we fall, united we can stand. The beautiful beginning of this experiment that is our republic, this constitutional republic, the, the only way that we were able to exist was the individual, the, if you go down to the smallest family unit, they were strong. You know, you had well-educated, not well-schooled, well-educated, well-read, read the founding documents. And you tell me anybody currently today that writes like that, all of the founding fathers wrote like that. Were they perfect? No. For the And don't judge them for the in the lens of today, judge them in the context of the time that they existed in. Okay. And another failed flaw of our current society is, is trying to take a 2023 lens and look at even my grandparents who lived vastly different lives and had totally different morals and ethics and standards and norms. Like I can't take a 2023 lens and look at my parents that lived through, my grandparents that lived through the great depression. How do we do it with first grace? Yeah, like I've, I've never met you before, but here we are having a conversation. I'm interested in what you have to say. I want to learn about your opinions. I want to learn. And that curious mind and that respect of just another person is again, taking that finger and pointing it back at you, looking in the mirror and um, tearing away a little bit of that ego so that you can just sit down and talk to people. And then that fringe outliers look like fringe outliers. And then you realize that the rest of us are just like regular people that want to be better people. Yeah. What's the best work on yourself that you've done to, I know that you came up with strong family and good examples and role models, but what do you think the, the best work that you've done on yourself has been to open yourself up to being in the place that you're at now and being able to try and help others? If you looked on my nightstand and you read my book, the, the books on my bed right now, you'd be like, what are they? This, this guy's a psychopath. Um, <laughs> Stalin. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, the kill chain, which is from the commander making this, ma making a choice to allow a soldier to pull a trigger. That's called a kill chain. Okay. And everything that you put in between that soldier's ability to make a decision up to the commander to give him the authority and approval for him to do it. That is the kill chain. Okay. Um, so for bin Laden, that was a very short kill chain. Like that was like the president said yes and it went straight to SEAL Team Six and they they found him and killed him right. So, but then if you look at the military as a whole, um, it's a big, huge bureaucratic government process, and you see the ineffective ineffectiveness and inefficiencies where we've gone through a twenty year war and we kept on implementing all of these problems for soldiers just to go out and do the job in the kill chain, which was to find and kill the enemy. And um, an, another great book, uh, which was the New War, which was how war is never going to be the way that we wanted it to be in 
the last successful war that we had was World War II. And um, we're never going to have a war like that again. But we keep wanting to have a war like that. And we keep preparing as a military to have a war like that. Oh. And I can't remember the name of the book. But it's a book written by a trans woman who trans uh, transitioned to become a man. So he's a trans man. And it was a fascinating book. Hmm. Um, there, there was one chapter in particular where he started taking testosterone and he um, goes out on a date with his girlfriend and they go out to a table um, and they're at a restaurant. And this is the first time that he's had testosterone going through his veins and his body. And oh he saw a guy looking at his girlfriend and he remembers picking up this knife and holding it and thinking about going and stabbing this guy that looked at his girlfriend. That's what it's and like to have testosterone? For the first time, yes. I've had it my whole entire life. My body, I learned how to, to deal with it, right? To struggle and to be humiliated. And like, you know, when I was 16 and I was just like raging through my body and I just wanted to fight velociraptors and jump on the back of a tiger. You know, it's like, yeah, I can get it on that wild horse. I can do that. You're like, that's what it's like. But And probably have sex with every woman you see. hundred <laughs> percent, right? I'm like, yeah, yep, I do that. Yep, I do that. Yep, I don't <laughs> sure. even know what that is, but I do that. <laughs> but that's what it's like when testosterone first hits you. I have 10 years when my frontal lobe is starting to develop. My bones are getting stronger. My muscles are getting stronger, right? There's a beautiful quote that says, you have no idea how violent I was for me to become this gentle. You know? So the way that I touch my daughters and the way that I touch my wife and the way that I touch the students at the school, you know, where I can pick up a four-year-old and, you know, I can, I can pick, pick 500 pounds up off the ground. I can punch somebody's face through the wall. I can literally pick up, I can pick you up and I can throw you 10 feet, you know, but like the gentleness that I can touch my family with, how, how much struggle and violence did it take for me to be that gentle? And that's what it's like learning, living with testosterone. And this woman in this in this in this this man in this book, having her explain what it was like physiologically to deal with testosterone for the first time, I was like, exactly. But she explained it in a way that I could never have done it because I had little bit increasing in my body over ten years. Oh, you don't know what it's like to be a girl. It's like when people ask me what was it like to be a girl race car driver. I'm like, well, turns out I've never done the other one, so I don't really know. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, I have Bulletproof Marriage. It's a devotional for a husband and a wife that my wife and I are reading every single night. And then I have uh, it's a Frank Peretti book, uh, Trapped at the Bottom of the Sea. And it's it's like a Christian book that I'm reading to my seven-year-old about this little girl that was in an, a military airplane and it crashed. And she got trapped at the bottom of the sea and her big brother and her dad are on their way to rescue this little girl. And, um, anyways, that's on my night. Those are the books on my net stand right now. I got a trans, mm -hmm. I got a trans book written by a trans dude. I have, um, kill chain book. I have the, a military book about the new world, uh, new way to fight war. And then a family marriage counseling book, and then a seven-year-old book. So then when it comes to the question of what do you, what have you done to sort of grow and be more, uh, open-minded and what is, what's the best thing that you've done for yourself? It would be to read a variety of books. That, that's one of like a million things, that, but I do all of that in everything that I do, right? Like um, when I be uncomfortable, like I have friends with far differing, differing political opinions than me. I mm. love having coffee with them. Love it. Um, mm. I love sitting down and 
and having discourse, like discussions, debates about our different opinions. But I love this person. This is my friend. Um, and wanting to understand their their perspective, I was um, just got done with a shoot a little bit ago, and somebody came through, and I'm not going to disparage them, but, but they're doing something now that was really okay to do a couple of years ago, but now it doesn't make any sense for them to do it. But I really wanted to understand why, and I asked the people that was right with me, I was like, "How do I go over there and ask that person why they're still doing that, and without you know disrespecting them?" And, uh, and coming from a position of, of wanting to be empathetic and sympathetic and, uh, and we couldn't figure out how to do it. So I didn't do it. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to go over there. Yeah. I want to be like, Hey, what's going on? You know, like I want to know why. Okay. So it was a very young, healthy person wearing a mask. Right. And, um, and like, do do they have somebody with cancer at the home? You know, who, who knows? But like, I wanted to know. Um, and they didn't have, cause I know a little bit about them and, and they didn't. So like, I wanted to know why. Right. And, um, okay. You're, you're up, in, up in your space. It doesn't seem like the kind of type. Yeah. Of person. yeah great question. Um, and you know, okay. She's pregnant. Does she know that by wearing the mask, she's going to have a lower O2 saturation level. Do you know that being in fear is actually more negative, um, than, than whatever that thing is going to stop you from breathing. So like, can we have a discussion from a position of love and grace and be like, what's going on with you? Are there other things going on in your life that I can help with? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but the position of, of humility back sure. to the first question, it's just challenging yourself and being uncomfortable. It's the same answer again, just to, to a different question. Like what are the things that I do? Um, I want to be uncomfortable and I want to be challenged and that strips away the ego that makes my mind be curious. That makes me be in a position of wanting to know and, and to care. What are someone's traits or habits that lead to failure and unhappiness? Ego is a big one, man. That bastard. It's always there. It's hungry. It wants something right now. um, There's, there's two things I've actually named them. One is the quitter and one is your ego. And both, uh, this is just like a weird thing I do in my brain. Every time, like I was just over there doing sprints on um, one of the elliptical curves. It's like a. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like a free run. True, it's like a tr- tr- uh, true form or something like that. Yep. Kind of and thing. Uh, so I was doing like minute on minute off um, sprint intervals and I'm not built like a runner. I think we've, we've visited this and, um, and like five, six into it. I was like, oh man, I know I said I was going to do 10, but maybe I just called it seven. Right. That that's the quitter, right? Oh, my, my thighs are rubbing against each other. My ankle is sore. That's your quitter. You're looking for an excuse. And I've named it. And every time that thing comes up, I I see it, I know it, and it's named. And then I'm easy to fight it. And um, and every time my ego comes in there and it's like, hey, are you gonna come out and train with us today? Uh no, I don't want to, or I don't feel like it. That's my ego. That's not my quitter, that's my ego. Those are two th- two different things, both of which are gonna negatively affect my ability to grow my ego and, and my, the quitter. So both of those things I have named and I kill them often. Mm, mm. The ego is much harder. I feel like to see Not if you do, it is harder to see, but it's not harder to kill. Mm. What is it like? What does your ego do when you put it in its damn place? Um, 
it's hum- humiliation. <laughs> um, sometimes it's failure. Uh, sometimes it's just that the process of struggle. Um, you know, it's a, uh, okay, I'm going to go hop in the cold bath. I'm going to go do some cold water immersion. And is it the quitter or the ego that's like, no, nah, you don't need to do that today. You're good. Um, maybe it's a little bit of both, but in either case, it's like, you can shut your mouth. I'm going to go get in that cold water and I'm going to sit there for five minutes. Now I was going to do four, but now I'm going to do five. You know, mm-hmm. that's just like taking the knife and just twisting it a little bit more. What's the best ratio of failure to winning? Just thinking about how valuable failing is. The uh, I hate that the Michael Jordan and the Babe Ruths, you know, like how many times did Babe, Babe Ruth strike out? How many shots did, did Michael Jordan take and miss? Um, like if you're not there to take the shot, like all those really e- irritating sayings, but they're so true. Yeah. They're so true. Yeah. 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 I mean, even in relationships, like, um, uh, Hoffman, I think is the last name. Um, he's like an expert in researching relationships and has done like the scientific work on it. And there's a perfect, there's a, there's a, there's a most successful ratio of good interactions with your partner. And I think it's like, if it falls below five to one. So if you have five, good, one, bad, that's, that's, that doesn't work. And 10 to one doesn't either. It's somewhere in the middle. Like you don't want to agree all the time. You want someone to challenge you. You want disagreements. So I was just thinking about how like it might reframe failure for people to go, Oh God. Okay, cool. Like it's actually best to fail like 75% of the time that, wow, that that's a whole reframe. Yep. There's, there's two, there's fast to fail. That's, um, something that I believe in. It's the, your muscles don't get stronger unless they fail. Right. But the, the process of Did getting that this morning, I agree. Yeah, running, like you don't get faster unless as you try to hit, as you're trying to hit your split times and you start failing, does your body and adaptation be like, Ooh, I can't do this. I have to teach my body to be a little bit faster. So in that process of failing, it is no better in business. It's even worse. You know, like you're going to be failing. You're going to make bad hires. Like how many times have I hired the wrong person that I thought I was going to problem solve and it didn't. And then it made a mess because then I had to fire that person. So I should have hired slow and fired fast, but I didn't because I was trying to fill. It sucks, but the process of failure is an important one. And that is why it's so important in the school for these young people to learn the value of failure early, their own consequences, their failures to do something. You know, like we do um, every year, we have like this, this fair. And every one of our learners, I'm, I'm talking like a six year old, comes up with a product. They figure out the cost of the product. They figure out how to market the product. They figure out how long to make the product. And then they take that product to market and sell it. And then afterwards, they submit like a PL of the product. Like this is how much I spent on it. This is um, the, the amount of money I spent on the marketing for it. This is how much I was able to source for it. This is how much I had to pay for the booth for me to sell it. And then like this is how much I made or lost from it. you know. And uh, having a six-year-old sit there and be like, Nobody wanted to buy, you know, my little w- piece of wood. Well, it's a trash piece of wood. I, nobody, oh, nobody wants that. It sucked, you know. And they're like, oh. And then they see their friend next to them, who took a little mason's jar and colored it with kinetic sand and put some of their toys in it, and then named it like the dinosaur model, and then like the space model, and each one of the themes inside of the um, 
mason's jar full of kinetic sand and their own toys that they stole from their parents and they're selling <laughs> for 20 bucks and they made like 400 in profit and the dude with the that put zero effort in zero work trying to sell his little crappy piece of wood is with a pouty face the best lesson that they can learn and he's six yeah do you know what i've done for that not yeah. at not at 33 when i launched my first business and was like this sucks well what i, I want to hear your opinion i want to hear you go on a on a on a rampage about because uh, I just know you probably will like about kids getting ribbons like participation like not being hard on kids like how hard should should we be on kids all I know is when I play Monopoly or when I play a game with a kid I just want to win like I mean I'm not going to be uh I'm no I, I want to win period like I, I laugh about it I'm like no I'm, I'm gonna beat a seven year old at Monopoly I don't care you should absolutely beat a seven year old at Monopoly um, <laughs> that is. That is his time to be learning about how to play Monopoly. Guess right. what? If he wins every time, he will never get better at Monopoly. Oh and then God. 20 years or 10 years from now when he's 17 and he goes as, as a senior to some camp and everybody's playing Monopoly better than him and he's super humiliated. And then he goes in like suck starts or shotgun because he can't win at everything because the whole entire time you've been getting him participation trophies and you've been letting him win at Monopoly and he thinks he's good at basketball because he's playing with a bunch of losers that don't know how to play basketball. No, you are setting him up for failure at everything in life because you keep handing him things to be successful at. Let him struggle and fail. It's the only way you can take the, the first time I, my dad saw a partition, participation trophy, he like looked at it and laughed. He laughed. Was it a blue ribbon? <laughs> I know it was like, it was, I mean, it was gold as if I was like a gold medal. And, uh, and I was playing basketball. I was, I mean, this is like, I never played basketball. So I was probably in high school at this point. The first time that's about right. The first time that we saw a participation, participation trophy, you know, 30 year, 30 something years ago. And, uh, he laughed, laughed at them. When I was playing, I was literally playing monopoly with my sister's daughter. She gave me like her, you know, like whatever, um, railroads she had or something like that. She made a totally shitty trade. I was like, Hey, you want to trade me this for that? And she, it was not even fair. I just proposed it. And she goes, sure. And she handed over. She goes, I don't feel good about that. I'm like, you shouldn't. You and shouldn't the point is, is that she knew, right? She's not going to do that again. She's like, I don't feel good about that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, was, this, that was not smart. You shouldn't feel good about that. And then I how, creamed them. How do you teach somebody to trust that feeling though? That's a great, I, I mean, now you're like really stepping into where I have a lot of passion and interest, which is in intuition it's in the field like the quantum field of information it's in it's in the it's in the stuff we can't see right it's this sort of like awareness that we come into this gut reaction this body like visceral body feel or this sort of awareness in our mind it's like how do we get more in touch with that and personally i think that's something we're being called into more and more because we don't know what to trust anymore. We don't know what news to trust. We don't know what documentary okay. to trust. We we just got to start tapping into something true, which is our own guidance. Yeah. And so I think it's personally, I think it comes from, um, be, I think alone time is really important. If we took a hundred women that had been assaulted and asked them if they felt something before they were assaulted, and they didn't listen to it of the hundred statistically how many do you think felt something i would imagine all of them that's right almost every single one of them yeah. and uh they 
but they talk themselves out of it, right? They're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be rude. Um, insert reacting. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's, I don't want to be racist or you know, like I, 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 I maybe it's it's just my insecurity. That's pl- whatever whatever it is that they talk themselves out of it. That intuition is a powerful thing. That sixth sense as a soldier, it is something that is trained. We believe that we know something and can feel something. And we're I like I'm driving down a road. And I start getting those prickly hairs and that the goose flesh and the goosebumps on my skin. Stop, stop, everybody stop. We're going a different way. So how, how do we train that little girl um, that you're playing monopoly with to not make that trade? Do you think she's going to make that trade with you again? <laughs> no, she never will. Right. She learned her lesson because she got her ass beat at monopoly. So like how many other times and other ways can I reinforce positively them making a good trade and then, and then unfortunately them suffer the consequences of making a bad trade, them trusting that feeling and making a good decision or them not trusting that feeling and then making a bad decision and have it, having to deal with the consequences. We as a society and me and and we as in a specific, especially public schools, we have removed that opportunity for them to learn, to, yeah. to learn the most valuable lessons by not letting them suffer the consequences of their own decisions. Participation trophies are a form of that, you know, making sure that we, everybody gets the same grade, you know, like um, let's, let's even change scale grades depending Perfect. on race. Yeah. Nope. No, ma'am. These are these, we know the outcome of this because we've seen it historically, but we also know inver- inversely the benefit of letting them learn the struggles of failure and how important and valuable those lessons are. Yeah. Intuition is really powerful. And how, I mean, do you feel like men and women have the same capabilities in that area? No, no. I think women are incredibly more powerful than men, you know, discernment, being able to like to, to read a room, being able to like the emotional intelligence. I promise you know, I've never walked out of Walmart a day in my life or Whole Foods or Target and been like, man, I hope there's not someone in the parking lot that's going to attack me. You're not uh, hard I, to kill. You're impossible to kill. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, maybe I fantasize about it before I go to sleep that somebody's going to attack me, but just for fun. Uh, yeah. None of that. I peacefully Is sleep. Is it weird in- that I've actually thought that to myself as a girl walking down the street? I'm like, fuck with me. I dare you. Like, oh, that's awesome. It's awesome. I'm five foot one. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I think um, I need to come to Sheepdog to actually learn how to actually fight because I don't know. Yeah. But you, I'm you really, to- I'm really aggressive mentally. But that's just that, that is so important. You know, like the victim mentality is how you become a victim. You know, like how many, how many people walked watching that five foot one girl walk down the street with her head on a swivel, turning back and forth, clearly something that's like poking out of her waistline. Is that a knife or a gun? I'm not sure, you know, but like, guess what? I'm not going to go after that one. Hey, that girl with her head in her phone, with her shoulders slumped over and her head down. That's mine. That's the difference, you know? And, uh, and one of them is trained and one of them is all right here. You do need to come and train with us. You would, it would blow your mind. When you have like this, you know, Sergeant Major Matt Smith from Delta Force, you know, you have Carl, it's come from Dev Group. Then you have a couple of Green Berets and a couple of extra SEALs and a Marsoc guy. You know, they got a Marine Recon over there. And like, those are just your instructors. They're teaching you how to hold a gun. They're teaching you how to fight. You're like, this is awesome. This is going to be fun. <laughs> we need to put together a whole like little couple of days where it's like, there's like a day, like a track day. There's like a, there's like, there's like a sparring kind of day. There's like a shooting day. Okay. That's, maybe a, that's a like a Tuesday, Wednesday, day, Wednesday, Thursday for us. That's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. 
We, we, we literally like do that every week. We, we drive, we, sh we shoot, move, communicate, medicate. Those are the four things that we have There's to master. Shoot, shoot move, move, communicate, communicate medicate. medicate. I want to know about the medicate. <laughs> yeah, so we have a course called TTRC tactical trauma response course. You know, like in the shoot part, I want to let blood out of the bad guys and I want to keep blood in the good guys. That's <laughs> if we're going to simplify it down to the, mo the most basic level. Um, <laughs> Put holes in bad, plug holes in good. <laughs> so uh, shoot, move, communicate, medicate. The medicate part is how do I keep blood in good guys? Um, you know, whether that's tourniquets, packing wounds, you know, making sure they're able to breathe, shoot, move, communicate, medicate. There's um, we have a course called TTRC, Tactical Trauma Response Course. Every special forces operator has to go through it every single year. And the civilian version is TTRC. It's a tactical trauma response course. Man, I thought this was like beer or wine. I, I wasn't sure what kind of Medicaid you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We uh, don't have any of that. Another question about the school. So curriculum wise, like, is it totally different, the kind actual curriculum, or is it just how the guides go about it with the students? Um, so I, there, there is great. It is, it is regular curriculum. Okay. Um, me learning how to do arithmetic is learning how to do arithmetic. Uh, there's, there's, um, you're not reinventing the world, the, the wheel on how to learn your ABCs and, you know, what are our vowels and okay. what sounds do constants make? Those are, uh, not changing, not changing, <laughs> um, you, you know, learning math, learning science, learning history. The big difference is how they're learning it, when they're learning it and why they're learning it. So instead of learning something to be able to recite something, you, we are, we are, making it intrinsic where they're learning something so they can go and do something. So uh, they're learning to do, and they're learning to be instead of learning to, to, to know, yeah. knowing is almost useless, but learning to be able to do something and learning to be able to be something that's useful. Mm. And, uh, and this, it's a significant, it's a subtle difference, but it's this very significant difference. Well, what, so what is the actual activation of those differences? Because you can know and still go use it, right? Or you can just you know it. So what's the what's the difference to actually uh, being intrinsic? One is wanting to. So the the joy, I'm bragging and I'm obviously biased. Um, but if you walk into our school, every corner that you look, there might be a kid upside down reading on top of his head, but he's in the corner reading. Right, you might see somebody sitting there bouncing on one of those medicine balls that just can't hold still. Yeah, that that was a seven-year-old version of me. I could not hold still. I was duct taped. I was duct taped to a chair. I had a, I had a teacher duct tape me. You know, I was beaten. I was literally paddled. It was That's why you're 80s. so fit. You have so much neat. Some non and non whatever it's called. You do. You're the fidgeter. No, I'm the fidgeter. And uh, but like when I go, if I'm on a plane and I'm going to read a book. My laptop's open. There's probably a movie playing. I'm listening to music while I'm reading my book, and I'm so happy. You know, if I'm gonna sit there, and I'm gonna read um, the 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 our forecast for next quarter on sales on a specific product. Do you mm -hmm. think I can open that PDF without music playing? Absolutely not. My God, you can have two streams of information coming in and registering at the same time. I can't focus on one unless the other one's happening. Wow, yeah. that's an awesome thing. That's like double the info. I mean. I mean, it's probably overwhelming for mo for a lot of people, but like how lucky for you that you get to like double down on just getting shit done. You can listen to Pearl Jam while reading yes. a P&L. Yeah, I love, I love Pearl Jam, Nirvana is, are there a couple of my go-tos for, uh, for real focus? <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Um, but in this school, as everybody's like randomly doing all these weird things, they're learning. And it's this magical thing where, but in every one of the sessions, as they're learning, we're prepping to remodel our play gym right now. <laughs> so our playscape, are we going to do mulch? Are we going to do pea gravel? Um, are we going to do sand? Um, are we going to put a trim in there? G guess who's making those decisions? The kids. The kids. That's I right. It. Elementary. How are they figuring out how to do the volume of each of the respective substances to go inside of the playscape? Oh, Just, wow. Well, guess what? If they mess it up, which they did, and if you went there right now, you'd be like, there's not enough mulch in here. <laughs> right. An eight-year-old did that calculation. So then you go, oh, why isn't there enough not why isn't there enough mulch in here? And they go, well, and then they critical think and then they figure shit out. Yes. And uh, but guess what? We left it dirty and without enough mulch for a couple of months. Oh god. It's a yeah. lesson learned. <laughs> it is a lesson. When but you it had to help without it. mulch, it hurts a lot more. It is. And there were some scuffed up knees and there were some pouty faces and there was even a lost tooth. Oh, that seems like a real qualifier. It was a baby tooth though. It was a baby tooth. Oh my God. So what's the ultimate vision then? Like you hope these schools are across the whole country or like even from a more societal macro view, like give me the ultimate purpose of the school. What's it say the name of the school again? Apogee. Apogee. Um, my partner, Matt Boudreau, he, uh, he had the largest Socratic school in the United States. It was in uh, Placerville and outside of Sacramento. Um, if you want, if you want to talk to a brilliant brain about education, I'm oh. telling you, I could talk to Matt Boudreau. The, and I could, that guy could talk about paint drying on the wall. And I'm just like this, you know, he's just, he also has like this great deep voice, you know, and he, and he is truly this philosophical, deep, critical thinker. So every time I get to talk and spend some time with Matt, it's, it's such a pleasure. And he, he's a partner with me in Apogee. And, um, like for us, again, we want it to be intrinsic. This is sure there could be a thousand apogees, but right now every parent, and I think we saw it during the election this year, um, the states where parents were upset, parents came out and voted, and they came out and voted in a way that it, that we haven't seen. And you mess with with somebody's ability to raise their own children, they get kind of passionate, and it's time for parents to stand up. It's parent. It's time for parents to demand school choice to for dollars to follow where the child goes. Yeah. It's time for this experiment that was public school, which failed. We failed. There's no way that we can look at the past 20 years and be like, "Hey, this is working." It's not. It's broken. Right. Highest suicide, highest depression, highest obesity. Seventy-seven percent of current American youth aren't even eligible to go into the military because of obesity. Seventy-seven percent. Highest in the history wow. of our species in America right now. So what do we want? Parents have two options right now. They're either going to do it themselves in homeschooling or private school. Right. Like that's it. Or they're going to start their own school. Right. Like if you, if you think you're getting a different product by sending your children to a school that only builds consumers, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. You're going to get the product that they're building and that is building consumers. If you want something different, you're going to have to do it yourself. Start your own school, homeschool, or private school. Sure, sure. I mean, even with like the, the COVID stuff that was going on, it's like, you know, I remember talking to my sister and other friends and it's like, or some of my other people in California, which is even more disaster. It's like, just start a little co-op. Like, 
I don't know. You're right. Like hire a teacher, pay her, pay her a little bit more than she would have made in the school, have five, five kids involved, right? Like, I mean, you can just do it on your own. Yeah. And I, I do not own the keys to this castle. Like every bit of information that I have and every time that I've failed in this business, like it is trans, I'm a hundred percent transparent and I will share everything that I have, what curriculum, curriculum we use, you know, um, how we chose our founding families. And that was a really important thing. Not every family is built for this. Yeah. You know, some people, some families want to take their kids, drop them off and wash their hands of it. You know, like mm-hmm. they go off to their eight to five and they don't want to see their kids until they get home from work, you know, and they, they want to see the letter up on the fridge that said like, Tommy did great today. Here's a star. Well, great. Like I know what product that children's, that child's going to be. Um, exactly. And I'm not going to hire them because I have no need for them. You know, but if you care about the product that your child's going to be, their ability to critically think, guess what? You got to be involved. You have a vision, my friend, and you have a lot of influence and a lot of energy. And man, if there's anything I can do to help, I will. Because yeah, I love it. I think that it's just, I just have such a strong opinion and I don't have kids. And so it's really good for me to be able to talk to somebody who does and what needs to change. And I love it. I love it. Congrats, man. Thank you for making time. Absolutely. I'm going to do it and I'm going to schedule some kind of track day. We'll go out to, uh, we'll go out to the track. Awesome. Let's grab some coffee. And, um, we, we have a bunch of tracks that we do dirt stuff. We do ramming and pitting and counter pitting. Um, so we have those tracks. We also, we, we teach, uh, EVOC emergency vehicle operations. So mm. like if you are a bodyguard, for example, like how do I take a limo or a suburban mm. and do a J turn? How do I ram? Like, yeah. all, which is totally different, but driving is driving. I could totally teach speed. I could teach the speed. I could teach, teach the speed, speed and like crisis management when the car gets out of control, because most people freak out. They turn the wheel, they slam the brakes. It's like, they don't know how to ride things out. They don't know how to keep the car going straight long enough for it to either slow down or get onto a surface that's safe. Like, I could teach. I could help you. I could do like yeah, a yes. special appearance one day for, for your drivers that need a little extra. I love Texas. Texas loves you. Ah, cool. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.